Hello and welcome to the latest Sound Support Podcast. I'm your host Mark Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Toobes. So Chris is a performance coach and velocity-based training educator. He spent 28 years as a coach. Of those, 21 are in high-performance sport. And he started first with velocity-based training in 2002, seeing it in rugby. And obviously it's been a long time since then, which makes him the best person possible to discuss velocity-based training and how you can use it to improve your performance. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Chris onto the show. So Chris, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, you've added some great li- uh, great guests on. So um, yeah, hum- humble to be invited. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, thank you very much for joining us. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? All right, I'll give you the whistle-stop version of that. 28 years in coaching. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I see the face. Um, multiple professional teams, uh, predominantly in collision sports, so rugby in Wales, in England, and in the United States. Um, I've dipped my toe into professional cricket twice. I've, cov- I've gone from the US to the UK two or three times, and one of the most fun uh, jobs I've ever done is actually with a downhill mountain biker. Hopefully we can, try- we can cover off some of that um, at some point during this. So yeah, over 28 years, worked in professional sport for 21 of them. And uh, yeah, hopefully I can add some insight for the for the listening group to um, help them on their journey. Absolutely fantastic, mate! So that's a wealth of experience. And during that time, you've uh, yeah you've used a lot of velocity based training, and you've uh, you've created a little niche for yourself in that. So before we get into all of that kind of stuff, what why why has it exploded? Right? Why why is it such a big thing that people are, are trying to use or want to use? Um. Matt, I don't actually know if I, th- if I think it's exploded just yet, but I think it's on that Ooh. tipping point. Um, compared, compared to a few years ago, I mean, no, absolutely. A, no, a, you, a, you, top, top institutions, they've pretty much all got some kind of EPT, no, true, right? True, true story. Um, I guess to a point, it's, um, I guess the social media platforms allow us as coaches and practitioners to promote our, to promote our kind of service offerings and I guess from that point of view, the integration of technology in performance sport is absolutely embedded in most people's professional practice. And yeah, I guess to to your point, VBT has started to become much more embedded in people's training process for lots of different reasons. Um, And yeah, there's so many different products offerings out there now from a price point of entry of zero pounds to, you know, camera systems that are, you know, into the tens of thousands. I guess from that point of view, yeah, I have built a little bit of a niche. I mean, going back to my kind of story, I guess the first time I was exposed to velocity-based training was at Leicester Tigers back in 2002, where England and and the the, the I guess the professional programs had a fair amount of alignment. And one day in the in the gym, you know, I think it was six Tendo units arrived at uh, Leicester Tigers training ground just before. I guess it was a year before the World Cup in terms of preparation. And it just captured my attention almost straight away around, I guess, navigating um, training away from just the traditional kind of percentage-based methodologies and using velocity to program for your strength and power adaptations particularly. And I guess from there on in, I've just refined my practice and and used velocity-based training for yeah 20 years, which is why kind of, for me, I kind of have a little giggle when people say, oh, this, this new training or this new type, it's not really a methodology, it's just integration of technology to improve kind of training outcomes. And and I actually think the coaching moments piece of that is really, really valuable. And I know we talked off air about um, players actually having the capacity to operate the the VBT devices themselves. So you're actually adding a layer of accountability and ownership into the players, um, 
I guess, um, process of training and their their autonomy around taking ownership of their their training process and not having a coach literally standing over them all the time to deliver that kind of part of the methodology. So, so that's kind of, I guess, another thing from my point of view as a coach, which was actually provide athletes with an educational tool so that they can improve their training process and obviously their physical prowess and, and the training outcomes as a result of that. So I guess that's the bit that keeps me connected to um, performance, which is always the, the kind of coach-athlete coaching moments piece. And obviously, like there's, you've mentioned there the, the, the price differences and, and all that kind of stuff. So there's a huge range of what's available. Can you take us through quickly what is available for for people because it sounds great if you can get it for free why are you going to pay 10 grand for a system right so what, yeah, what's, no, what's sure. available to i people? mean I, I guess it's like anything isn't it i mean inevitably the the d1 colleges and the, the the nfl franchises in the usa have you know budgets to spend on performance technology and obviously performance departments and um i guess yeah the price point of entry um maybe zero dollars for a uh, metric vbt system at the moment which is uh, based out of a, an australian guy who's developed something for a camera uh, iphone app um i guess matt you've got to look below or beneath the bonnet a little bit and say it's zero dollars but is the user-friendly nature of this particular product going to actually allow me to do my job and not interfere with my workflow when it comes to actually coaching and the coaching process and the training process so I'm not going to bag it because I actually think it's a really valuable tool, but also I think in real terms, actually capturing the data and then using that data effectively and efficiently within a training program and then obviously subsequent training programs or, or training sessions might not be as easy as you first think for the price point of entry of zero. Then you've got things like the accelerometers. You've got, I mean, I, I personally really like using output, which is very portable. It's an accelerometer. You've got um, access to um, a hub a portal which essentially allows you to do other things and it gives you a little bit more functionality um, it's based on a subscription model so you've got a little bit more of a price point in that respect I, I couldn't even tell you the exact number because it does depend on a lot of different variables things like the amount of athletes that are using the system and all that sort of stuff so and then like we say we, we go right to the top end where you've got your well actually we'll go we'll go one step back we'll go to the linear position transducer which you've got gym aware which would probably be, be my go-to when it comes to the gold the gold standard of tethered units you've got rep one you've got vitruve you've got other units that are available in that kind of space which is the tethered unit which for those who don't know is when you actually um, attach a cable to the bar so that you're able to measure bar speed through that tethered system um, and then yeah you've got in, you're now going into those camera systems like elite form or perch which is very very popular in the u.s at the moment particularly which um is yeah is obviously wireless and 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 camera system that allows you to gather not only the intelligence with regards to velocity but also what i really like about that is that you've got some video analysis type feedback as well so actually the technical competency of an athlete can also be looked at alongside the velocity of lifts and i'm sure we'll come on to the actual technical execution of lifting is still for me the most important thing chasing velocity at the cost of poor form and poor execution of an exercise is is a double-edged sword for us which is something we're trying to avoid so we maybe come on to some of the some of the catch points that um, velocity-based training can create as well as you know solve some problems they can also you know ask coaches to you know coach more effectively because 
yeah, players are cheating to basically move a bar faster if that's the outcome that they're looking for. So, yeah, it's all about, like I said, the front end. It's about the coaching moments as well. But I think that's that's the broad spectrum. You've got the camera phones, you've got accelerometry, you've got tethered units, you've got, um, you know, cameras at the top end. I think that's the that's the spectrum that we've got to deal with. And I'm sure more and more companies will um, come on board as they see this as a potential market for, you know, additional spend in performance departments all over the world. Uh, I can imagine there. there's a lot of money to be made for some people there. But um, why, why should people be doing this, right? So obviously they, they've got this huge spectrum of possibilities. So effectively, I could go and download an app for free in a minute and, and do it um, in my uh, home gym or whatever. And, and that would cost me nothing. But why would I bother doing it, right? Why would athletes start to use this kind of technology compared to just standard lifting or not having to, to trouble themselves with technology? No, absolutely great question. And I guess this is the the question or the, the information that I'm trying to share with as many people as possible, which is um, human physiology is not linear. Human physiology fluctuates from day to day. So I guess if I'm going to give you my whistle-stop tour of why I use velocity-based training, I've got three main points, which are velocity-based training allows you to um, gauge the strength level of an athlete today. So that's really, really important. The second thing is that velocity-based training allows you to understand not only the acute um, training effects that your program is delivering, which is un understanding fatigue particularly. And I guess the third piece of this puzzle, why would you use velocity-based training? It's um, boosting intent of athletes. And I think by boosting intent, what I mean by that is when you have got objective data as part of your outcome, there's not many people, especially in performance sport professional environments, who are not interested in making effort, especially when there's competition being generated amongst the peer group. Nobody wants to move even an unloaded barbell the slowest. So if you've actually got that kind of what I call gamification of training in terms of intent, in terms of driving competition, velocity-based training will drive competition within the gym. And by definition or by, by default, I guess, driving intent and driving competition will provide a better training exposure, which will provide a better training outcome. So I guess those three are the, the summary of why I use velocity-based training and why I want more people to use velocity-based training. And obviously, you've touched then on the, the competition side, so potentially you could get more output from your athletes, which is motivation. That's, that's fantastic. Sure. Um, but you also mentioned how strong they are on that day. So how, how does that work as such? Obviously, you're, you're measuring how fast the bar is moving, but how do you then know how strong someone is on that particular occasion? Yeah, so the really good thing about velocity-based training, and it, um, velocity aligns really closely with rep max. So inevitably, if I understand that 80% of one rep max on a squat equates to 0.54 meters per second using velocity as my metric and not, not weight and load, um, I understand today where my where my athletes' strength levels are. So the first rep of the first set will give me an indication of their strength level for today. I actually take it one step further back than that, and I actually do what in my in my preparation for lifting, I will traditionally do a seventy percent of one rep max um, effort in warm-up, in preparation for understanding where my athlete's strength levels are for that day. So just say as a frame of reference, uh, hex bar deadlifts, one of my bias type lower body exercises. I have an athlete, I know, I understand this athlete, I've done their profiling, I've got some deeper understandings of their strength levels generally. 
just say they've got a 151 rep max let's make it easy let's say they, they do a 100 kilos as part of their entry into lifting for for their work sets for the day they do 100 kilos and historically over a relatively longitudinal period of time they might lift that in and around 0.7 meters per second just say so I've now got a frame of reference of what 100, meter, 100 kilos looks like for their, for their left in, and the speed at which they historically move that kind of load. If the trend line for the speed at which they do that 100 kilo fixed load over a period of time is starting to get slower, even with them making maximal effort to, to lift it as quickly as they can, there's an underlying level of fatigue that we have to do something about, which is make a decision now, do we do what I call have a go day or a slow day. A slow day is a day where we have to modify and, and sort of manage the loading down. We have to modify our training loads. If, for example, that 70, uh, that 100 kilos is being moved at 0.75 meters per second, for example, and they feel that there's neural freshness, they're, they're prepared and ready for the session, it might be a day where we just can add a little bit of load to what we'd plan to do. So because velocity aligns with rep max, we can understand from the speed at which they move a fixed load whether they're basically fresh and ready or whether we need to do some modification of training. Modification of training, by the way, doesn't mean let's cut the session and you're too tired. It might be that you just reduce the load somewhat because as you and I both know with athletes and players, if they think they can skip a bit of weight training because they feel a bit tired, they might just want to manage and manipulate the system for their particular benefit, which is maybe a little bit less weight training. But for me, it's about modifying load and it's about managing and adjusting that tra those training variables. So that's exactly why I kind of really want to integrate VBT with as many people as possible, because that, that understanding of that strength level for today allows us to basically be productive in every single weight training session that we do. And we don't just add another layer of fatigue onto a player. And I'm sure I'll share some examples with you around um, yeah, the alignment of rep max with with velocity numbers is an important element when it comes to us prescribing precisely and accurately. And when when it comes to fatigue, which you just mentioned, um, how can VBT play a role in in reducing that? So you said like one one option is to not give them more work when they're tired, but if you're if you're talking about for example volume of of reps and sets and yes. load, how can VBT then stop you from doing too much in that sense? Yeah, so velocity loss is, an, is another key metric. So there's two things that I think are really, really valuable for practitioners. One is understanding the, the athlete's strength level for today, which is almost that, that primary number, that first number you see on whichever interface you're going to use. So like I say, using this, the hex bar deadlift reference, if they're moving 100 kilos at 0.54 meters per second, essentially you're looking at that aligning with 80% of, of one rep max effort. So that's fine you've got a you've got your first indicator of the strength level of today but also if you then ask a player to do three sets of three with 85 percent of one rep max or the equivalent in terms of a velocity um, specific number if there's a big big drop off between rep number one and rep number three the velocity loss element that's also going to give us a deeper understanding of how hard that set was now and how challenging it was and also the cost of that for future for future work so if there's a too steep a drop off between the first rep and the third rep inevitably there's two things the weight was too heavy for today and there's there's potentially an underlying level of fatigue within that that athlete's um you know physiology so you've got to do two things about that you've got to manipulate the loading and you maybe you know got to you know 
provide another another layer of re recovery or intervention to allow us to give them the appropriate dose at the appropriate time in the appropriate amount. And Perfect. that's the so, challenge we've got. So there's still a lot of decision making to make, but it gives us a much, much better chance of delivering the right amount of stimulus. And I think the one thing, Matt, that's really important to note here as well, and this is something that coaches get confused about, which is in order to develop strength, we still need to stress our athletes. It's the said principle, right? Specific adaptation to oppose them. I know most of the listeners will understand that. But we still have to make it hard, but not too hard. And that's the balancing act of coaching. And that's where there's always a coaching outcome and there's a coaching moment within training, for me anyway, which is make sure that they're stressed because stress creates a level of adaptation but not too stressed. So we're balancing, we're balancing the fine line. And also, as you know, you work in multi-sports, there's a lot of different things going on. You've got the field-based training, you've got the skill-based training, you've got the speed work, you've got the video analysis, you've got the travel, you've got the competitive schedule, you've got a ton of stress. So what we want to be doing in the gym, in my experience, is being a really, really good stress manager. And that might mean that doing less, and there's lots of velocity-based training uh, research that validates this. Um, I don't know all the Harrys, but Harry Dorrell's great. Harry Banyard's great. Uh, Jonathan Weekly's not called Harry. Those guys, Steve <laughs> Thompson, I can read off some of, the, some of the academics who are doing really good work in this field. But a lot of good research recently has come out to suggest that actually by employing velocity-based training methods, you don't actually have to do you can basically get away with doing half the work because you're doing, you know, better quality work. So I think that also is a massive, massive appeal to athletes who are time poor, who focus on their sport and want to be good at their sport and have transfer of training from their from their physical sessions. They don't necessarily, I don't know about you, Matt, I always laugh about this. I've only ever thrown one athlete out of the gym for doing too much in my whole life so athletes aren't queuing up to stay in the gym longer what athletes want to do who actually are players first and then athletes second players want to get better at their sport they want transfer of training for their sport so if we can do a 30 minute weight session and get the benefits out of it why would we stay in the gym for an hour because there's many more variables within the sort of performance puzzle that need focus which may be recovery which may be video analysis which may be technical work so we've got the balancing act right. If we do good quality work and less of it and we still get the results, well, that's that's an absolute win for me. So the less is more type, you know, the minimum effective dose type analogy. I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. And I'd be, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts then on how to, um, because we covered, we covered like fatigue, we've covered the reasons that people will use it, but how are people going to use this to improve strength and power in a practical setting right so they come into the gym with you it's um warm up how are you going to make sure that an athlete is improving their strength and power using velocity based training yeah so take it back one step i mean the start point for me is the load velocity profile so i've got an understanding of strength qualities of that athlete to start with and there's a decision to make before that even so if i've got very young players which i'm now within my sw7 academy role i've got players coming to me who may be as young as 14 so understanding the player and athlete is really important first and foremost. So I think this, the first question I've got to ask myself as a coach is, is velocity-based training going to be applicable for this particular athlete? And at 14, I think you and I both know the answer to that. Do we want to give an athlete exposure to technology, potentially for the reason I mentioned right at the front end, which was intent, 
and creating a level of feeling and intent within training. But in my experiences, I know what the training gap is in a 14 year old. <laughs> they've got no, they've got no training age. They've got no exposure to load. They've got no exposure to the basic fundamentals of strength and conditioning. So do I even introduce velocity based training to a 14 year old? No. What I do is basically follow a, a well put together, well structured training program and allow them to develop their strength qualities by exposure to good training. That's the first thing. The second thing though is the, if you've got an athlete who's got training age and got a level of what I call strength quality already, profile them. So the profiling gives us a really good understanding of kind of where they sit from the, the velocity end of the curve right through right the way through to the force end and everything in between. And then we then we work out where we want to fill the training gaps. And chances are for those who've got low training age, like I say with a 14 year old, but a 16, 17, 18, even 20 year old, maximum strength will probably still be a limiting factor for a lot of people. So we focus at the force end of the curve and we integrate velocity based training with the focus in mind being velocity loss, which is that really important metric that can control the amount of fatigue that we create as coaches and obviously them as players. But um, ultimately, I also like from my own methodologies, um, improving all strength qualities all of the time. So working at the velocity end of the curve, working moderately heavy, that strength speed type work in the middle. It's just, Matt, it's just about priorities and about what's important for each different individual athlete. But load velocity profiles gives you the start and stop point. And then you also know where players sit on the continuum in terms of the load, the load management and the load manipulation piece. If they know what 85% of their one rep max feels like from a velocity standpoint, they also are now starting to get an understanding of what heavy looks like. And I think that's another educational piece that's really important for athletes, which is understand what really heavy looks like, understand what heavy looks like, and understand what moderately heavy looks like, and then relate that back to the velocity scores. And that's really valuable for players as well. Because you and I both know, if you've not been exposed to heavy strength training, 85% of one rep max, you ask someone to do that for five who's actually really strong, they'll go, that's almost impossible. That is literally a true, true five rep max, and it's actually quite scary to do if you've got a level of strength that you know you might not complete those five reps. That's a proper full, full five rep max with you know absolute max effort. So I guess those are the things that, that I use to start with, which is from your profiling, you can dose appropriately with the right strength stimulus. And then it's about, in my experiences, less is more. And low volume has always been my bias for sports players anyway, because I think they've got, especially in collision sport with rugby, the, the element of fatigue that's most difficult to manage is that, the collision element. So why do I in the gym want to add even more stress to their body? I want to add just enough stress to keep them making forward progress when it comes to strength and power. And also... Sometimes, like I say, less, less is going to be beneficial for them when it comes to their capacity to actually recover from all of their training. And I don't like looking at strength training in isolation, so that's important as well. And when, when you bring all of this together, right, if we're going to look in one of your gym sessions now, um, how would you go about prescribing uh, sets, reps, intensity based on velocity-based training? So yeah. if, you, if we're going to take your, your trap by deadlift, for example, yeah. Um, what, what does that look like when you're going to go and work with an athlete? Let's say you've made that profile, you can, yeah. you can fill that in as, as necessary. Yeah. Um, how are you going to then start programming that? The first thing you're going to look at, Matt, is go, is that it? This is the funny thing that I always laugh about. When you, when you actually put a template, when you put a template on, the, on, a, 
on a page and you then show it to somebody they go is that is that all you did like i i always use this story of like the blues academy lads who some of them turned out to be pretty good players and when you actually look at the template of a weekly structure they they go is that it but i'll tell you this and this this might also make you laugh it's this easy or this basic sorry three to five sets three to five reps that's it <laughs> that's job it. done that's it for, for the main compound exercise to develop that lower, there's, there's tons of moving parts i'm kind of being facetious but i'm not yeah um three to three to five sets three to five reps if if maximum strength within our kind of micro cycle macro cycle monthly plan if that's the goal for this particular session hex bar deadlift like i say i've done my warm-up set am i in the ballpark am i in the ballpark to get after it today or am i in the am i having to modify and manipulate the variables if i'm if i'm getting after it it's probably five sets the bandwidth is still three to five reps so three to five remember three to five sets three to five reps so the the challenge with players particularly is giving them that option is quite difficult for them to sometimes manage mentally because they want three three sets of five they know where they are but three sets of five might be too much but three sets of three to five if they're feeling good get after it which means we might do a fourth set and we might do a fifth set as long as we're not chasing fatigue through inappropriate loading we can basically on good day get after it so in in best case and that this is as basic as it gets you might have a player doing five by five which is obviously that historical you know absolute bill star special if they're if they're neurally fresh and they're men mentally ready but also if they have a level of fatigue that we've had to manage then it might be three sets of three so you've got that bandwidth of before they come into the gym i've got an idea of what they're capable of doing the vbt type warm-up prep process will give me a much greater idea of what we can deliver today now and it, like i said it might be three three by three or it might be five by five and that's like a, a kind of a flow chart of decision making. Yeah, there's a decision making flow chart, and that that's basically the that's the that's the framework. And as you can see, there's either 25 reps or nine reps. So there's a big big disparity, but ultimately we're giving the dose that's appropriate today. And if strength development is our main focus point for the session, well, it's either three by three or five by five at both ends, and anything in between. Yeah, absolutely fantastic because, because your physiology moves and the next day it might be totally different and the week after it might be totally different i mean the the, the good analogy for rugby particularly as an example is if you play you're way more fatigued on your tuesday weight session than if you're off the bench or don't get selected so there's times within the year when there's a bit of an ebb and flow of energy levels for the player and those are the times when you chase it and there's times when you've just got to put the handbrake up. And I think that's another reason why velocity-based training is a really good tool to implement. You can put the handbrake up for players who need help because they won't help themselves sometimes. So we can help. We can do it for them. Oh, brilliant. So, Chris, massive thanks for your time and wisdom today. I think that's an, uh, an excellent way to, to finish it off. Um, where can people find a little bit more about you? So I'm head of performance at SW7 Academy. SW7 Academy um, dot com or on the channels uh, the usual socials um, i'm very um, easy to find chris tomb 71 on twitter and i'm pretty active on the socials every now and again on insta as well so that's pretty much it 
Absolutely fantastic. So, Chris, massive thanks for your time today and uh, look forward to speaking again soon. Likewise, Matt. Thanks for the invite. Thank you very much. Cheers. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Chris for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is a series of mini courses broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you're interested in velocity-based training and you want to get some more great sports science information, what you have to do is hit the link in the show notes and you can get into the Science of Sport Coach Academy completely for free for the next seven days. And as a bonus, for every course you complete, you'll get a certificate of completion, which means you can prove your ongoing education. So hit that link in just a few seconds' time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could give us a recommendation to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me and Matt Solomon for Science Sport. And I'll speak to you next week.